It's that time again. I just saw the roster for the U.S. Olympic men's basketball team, and I compared it against the Dream Team. Back in 1988, the U.S. men's basketball team was embarrassed. We only finished with a bronze medal, which was not going to happen again. The next time, we would win gold. So the next Olympic Games, America sent NBA players for the first time in Olympic history. Players like Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Scottie Pippen, Charles Barkley, and seven other NBA All-Stars who rounded out the U.S. men's basketball team to make it the toughest team in history. One writer called them the best team of any sport of any time. And they were so fun to watch, as, as long as you weren't on the other team. They beat every team by an average of 44 points. They were so good. There's something special about special athletes or soldiers. While the king-to-be David was on the run from King Saul, he recruited a few unlikely heroes to his team. The writer of 1 Samuel calls them in debt, distressed, discontented. They were far from a dream team. They were more like a nightmare in battle. But they were fiercely loyal to David, and David was fiercely thankful for them. After a lot of training and a lot more patience, three of David's mighty men were mightier than the rest. Think Navy SEAL plus Army Ranger meets Marine Raider. They were the elite. And then there were three more. Not quite as good as the top three, but close. They risked their lives just to get David a drink of water from the well back home in Bethlehem. And then there were the 30. They were decorated, but not like the first or second set of three. But they were still a fierce fighting force. No one wanted to see them line up for battle. And the very last name in that long list of names was Uriah the Hittite. He was one of David's best. At one point, David counted over 1.3 million soldiers in his army. To be ranked as the 36th or 37th out of 1.3 million met Uriah was at the top of his game, at the top of his class. In one sunny spring, the Ammonite army was causing Israel trouble, and David was going to put a stop to it. Normally, he would have gone with his troops, but this time he stayed home to watch cat videos, and he sent his best and bravest. They marched to the capital city. They set up a siege. No one dared go out or come in. It was surrounded chalk up one more win for the good guys. And on one of those bright starry spring nights, David stirred from sleep and stepped out of his room onto his roof, and that's when he noticed beautiful Bathsheba. He asked about her, and his truthful age spoke the truth to the king. He said, Sir, her name is Bathsheba. She is Eliam's daughter. She is Uriah's wife. Bathsheba was married, so was David, but not to each other. Bathsheba was married to one of David's mightiest mighty men, one of his fiercely loyal fighters and his fierce fighting force. David's messenger wasn't judging him, but he did tell him the truth. He was waving his arms to warn him. Hey, I know what you're thinking. Don't do what you're thinking. You're going to wreck your life. You're going to wreck her life. You'll wreck Uriah's life. You'll wreck your rule and your reign. You'll wreck your good name. David, you're a better man than that. Leave Bathsheba alone. But did he listen? We'll find out right after this. Good day, Simplify listeners. You're listening to L.J. Harry, and you're listening to It Takes an Army on Simplify. David wasn't the ruddy shepherd boy anymore. He was King David, the most powerful man in the world, and he wanted to invite Bathsheba to the palace. What harm could that do? He knew she'd be impressed and flattered to be inside the palace. She lived within view of it, but never really saw it. Not like this. 
But this night she had the grand tour and the king's grand attention. David knew better, but he had never done worse. This isn't like David, not like the David we've grown to love for the last 26 chapters of our Bible. Up until that night, David was basically blameless. But that night, David invited Bathsheba to spend the night, and she did. A few weeks later, she sent him a letter. David's heart beat faster as he recognized the sweet perfume on the letter. He opened it up and read Uriah's wife's handwriting. Dear David, I'm pregnant. Everything else on the agenda could wait. He didn't even care if they were winning the war. Bathsheba is about to have a baby, his baby. But Bathsheba was Uriah's wife, not his. This was all wrong. David was distracted. He barely touched his food. He had to come up with a plan to clear his once good name and keep the secret from spiraling into scandal. But he was on his own. He couldn't tell anyone, lest the bad news get out about their good king. But David had an idea. Bathsheba's husband was away at war. David was commander-in-chief. All he needed to do was bring Uriah home and give him a break from the battle. The plan is perfect. When Bathsheba announces she's pregnant, everybody will assume Uriah is the daddy and David will be in the clear. But when David invited Uriah to the palace to ask about the battle and give him a temporary leave, Uriah would not go home. He slept on the steps because his conscience would not let him sleep in his house while his brothers in arms slept in the fields. Uriah honored God more than the man after God's own heart. David was on his own again. So this time he got Uriah drunk. But even drunk, Uriah was more honorable than David. He still would not go home. Well, that was it. David justified himself in his own mind. Uriah had his chance, but he didn't take it. That's not on David, that's on him. In David's depraved mind, Uriah's blood would be on Uriah's hands not his. The next day, David did the unthinkable. He wrote a letter to General Joab that read, Dear Joab, hope all's well. Wish you were here. Station Uriah on the front lines where the fighting is fiercest. Then pull back your troops so Uriah will be killed. Sincerely, K.D. David gave the letter to Uriah who carried it from Jerusalem 40 miles all the way to Ammon, where he hand-delivered it to Joab. Uriah carried his own death warrant 40 miles and didn't even know it. David had been a general. He knew the rules of war. This would be the one surefire, fail-safe, foolproof way to get rid of Uriah. Make him fight alone. David needed to get rid of Uriah and marry his grieving widow so nobody would question his integrity when her baby was born. And he knew if Uriah had to fight the enemy alone, he will die. Now, now, LJ, you just wait a minute. You don't know Uriah. Don't count out Uriah. Uriah's a fighter. He's one of the 30. He's not the other one million men in the army. He's better than most. He's braver than most. David knew that, which is why he chose the one strategy that would kill Uriah and clear him, make him fight alone. The next day, Joab set Uriah right on the front lines where their special forces fought. He held his sword and shield, and Uriah fighting for his God and his country. This would be Ammon's best versus Israel's best. And Israel's dream team was legendary scary. Uriah knew the danger, but he knew his army had his back. He would not fight alone. But when the sword started swinging, 
Uriah was fighting for his life, but he was no match for their army all by himself. And Uriah the Hittite, one of David's mightiest military men, a righteous man with snow-white integrity and fierce loyalty, died. Not as just another casualty of war, but as a casualty of cruelty, because King David sentenced him to fight alone. It doesn't matter how smart you are, how spiritual you are, how much you pray, how much you fast, how many verses you can quote, how many Bible studies you've taught, how long you've been in church, you will lose if you try to fight alone. This pandemic taught me a lot of lessons, and the top of the list is we need each other. We're not fighting this fight alone. We need our brothers and sisters of faith. We are a fierce fighting force against the evils of this world. So if you're struggling, don't struggle in silence. Swallow your pride and call or text someone and let them know, I need you. I need you to pray with me. I need you to fight for me. I'm struggling. If you're struggling with a secret sin or addiction, call somebody who will tell only God what you're struggling with and pray together for God to give you his spirit and his church to fight and win that war. Some of you may be fighting secret battles of depression, even suicide, and you're too ashamed to admit that you've hit that low of a low. You think you can fight alone. You think you've got this on your own, but you can't and you don't. You need a brother or sister in arms. You need a brother or sister of faith who will pray with you and be there for you and help you and allow them to fight with you so you can fight and win this war. If Uriah could fall, so can we. But if we fight together, we will win our battles. And by the grace of God, we will win the war. I would like to pray right now for anybody listening. If you're dealing with something and you're struggling with it, I want to pray that God would give you the courage and the humility to reach out and ask for help. Jesus, thank you so much for your church. Thank you for your people. Thank you, God, for your grace and your goodness. Thank you especially for giving us your spirit and your church. I pray for me individually. Help me not to fight the fights I have alone. I pray for all those listening, especially those who are struggling with anxiety, depression, suicide. Help them, Lord, to have courage and humility to reach out and ask for help. I pray, God, you would help every one of us to ask for and be somebody who can minister to others. I, Lord, I pray, Lord Jesus, your spirit would minister and bring healing and help and bind all of us together to minister to each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you for tuning in to Simplify. I hope this has been a help and encouragement to you. If you know somebody who's struggling, please tell them about this episode. Thank you to all of you who encourage me and tell me how Simplify has been a blessing to you. It blesses me to hear that it blesses you. So if you would like to share with me if Simplify has been a help, maybe one episode especially has helped you through something, please let me know. You can reach out to me on social media. My Instagram and Twitter handles are LJ and Andrea, and you can find me on Facebook at LJ.Harry. Thanks also for all those who have been reading Simplify and allowing it to be part of your devotional life. It's a 52-week devotional, which you can purchase at PentecostalPublishing.com, or you can purchase it on Amazon for your Kindle or your tablet. Next week here in these United States, we will celebrate Independence Day. And I would like to share an episode with you called Our Declaration of Dependence. Ah, little twist there. Looking forward to sharing that with you next week.
and always look forward to walking closer with Jesus as we walk through Simplify.